I'm, I'm so uh, happy to have you all with us this morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, we're going to get right to the text here this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find one underneath a, a seat uh, in front of you uh, or near you. And again, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home. That's our gift to you this morning. And so we, as you're doing that, we welcome you this morning to the opening of our very first Christmas series here at The Rock. It's a, an exciting time to be worshiping with the, the Rock Bible Church officially this Christmas season, and so we're excited to celebrate with you. And this is a time when we get to get our eyes on the birth of Jesus, and this is what we do at Christmas time. We turn our, our focus to the birth of Christ. And we can read about the birth of Jesus Christ in a few of the Gospels, right? Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. If you're like me, this is something that I read to my family every year. I sit the kids down all in a circle every year and I read them the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. But I was thinking back about this the other day and I remember the very first time that I read the story of Christ's birth. Like most people, I, I read and knew the story of Jesus' birth before I read any other books of the Bible. In fact, when I, the first time I heard the story of Jesus' birth, I wasn't even a believer. But as I heard it read to me, and as I heard it, read it multiple times, a question came to my mind. All these people in this story who are coming to worship and celebrate this newborn baby king right? The shepherds in the field, the, the three wise men. It always, it always brought up this question in me, how did they know to expect this little child to be the savior of the world? Like, how, how, did they, how did they know that, that, that he was going to come and be the savior? Right? The Bible says that the shepherds in the field, when they were approached by the angel, they were called to go to the manger. And when they saw Jesus, the baby, they worshiped and rejoiced his birth, but why? As I was reading the text for the first time, I remember thinking it's almost like they were expecting this to happen. They were expecting this, this savior, this king to be born. Like they were waiting eagerly for his arrival. And the fact that the king, a baby, is born, it's not a surprise to them that this king is a, is a baby. It's a baby boy born. They're not surprised by that. In fact, they just rejoice in it. Like they've been waiting for this day all their lives. But as I grew in my relationship with the Lord, as I gave my life to him, I began to read and study the Bible and read and study the Old Testament. And I realized that the people of Israel were expecting this Savior to be born. In fact, they were looking for it. Because almost everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, to the coming Messiah. And these Jews of the time that Jesus was, was birthed, they were anxiously waiting the arrival of this Savior because it had been talked about for a thousand years before his actual birth. And that is the text that they were studying. So this morning, we're going to see why they were expecting this birth as we dive into this text in the book of Isaiah. But before we get into that text, let's first get some context of Isaiah. 
All right? Who, who is Isaiah and, and what was the context of, of why he wrote this, this book in the Old Testament? So just a quick overview of this book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. And a biblical prophet is a person whom the Lord gives uh, visions to proclaim to his people. Right? To lead the people of God towards the direction he wants them to go through the visions and teachings of the prophets. So the Lord will give these prophets visions and he will say, go and proclaim this to the people, to the people of Israel. Tell them what they're doing wrong. And tell them what will happen if they continue on this pace. In fact, almost all of these visions are for future events. When a, when, a, when a prophet gets a vision, it's almost always for a future event to come. So the Lord shows the prophets the future events and he commands them to tell the people about the visions that the Lord is giving them. Now there are quite a few prophets in the Bible, but today our focus is solely on the prophet Isaiah. And the visions of the prophet Isaiah were to show the people of Judah and the entire nation of Israel two truths that will happen. The first truth is that God is just and holy. That God is just and holy, and therefore he cannot allow the sinfulness of his people to go unpunished. And Israel, all through this book of Isaiah, is talked about as being incredibly sinful. In fact, the Lord calls them a sinful nation. And so the visions that Isaiah is getting are one showing God's wrath for his sinful people because he is just and righteous. The visions that Isaiah is proclaiming to the people is that God will bring judgment upon them. In fact, during the time that Isaiah is prophesying this, the Assyrian nation, this, this great nation, has risen up against Judah, right, in the northern tribe of Israel. And the Assyrian army is this massive world power with a massive army force. And they begin to infiltrate this northern region of Israel, this area in Judah called Galilee. And this is a time of, of war. And God uses this Assyrian nation to judge Israel, particularly this land of Judah, for their sin. All right? And they are defeated by the Assyrians. They're crushed by the Assyrians. And later they are exiled into another land, away from the land that God has promised them. And they, so he tells them, Isaiah tells them, you will experience the Lord's wrath. But the second truth we see in this writing of Isaiah, is God's grace for his people. That even though they have turned against him, he has compassion and mercy for his people. That though they will see his wrath, he will keep them from destruction, and in fact will send them a promised savior to bring restoration and forgiveness to the people in Israel and the people of the world. And that's what we're going to dive into today. In fact, over the next two Sundays, we're going to see a set of six promises that the Lord has given to the world about what he will do through this promised Savior. And so we're going to dive into the first three of those promises today in Isaiah chapter 9. So you all ready to get in the word with me this morning? All right, let's get it. Chapter 9, verses 2 through 7 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has, show, has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So again, coming out of this text in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to see the three promises that the Lord has in store for the world through this coming Savior. And the first promise we see in verse number 2, that God promised to bring his light into our darkness. Again, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now remember, the area of Judah that Isaiah is prophesying to is called Galilee. He calls it Galilee of the nations throughout the text here in Isaiah. In other areas of the Bible, you'll see it called Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is anyone, we talked about this a few weeks ago, a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. Any other, any other culture other than Jewish is a Gentile. And this region was called this because it was full of Gentiles. People had inhabited there, had been pushed through by the Assyrians from other nations into this area of Galilee. And this was an area that the Jews looked down upon because it was so much of a mixture of other cultures of the Gentiles, other religions, other worship happening here that was not Jewish worship. So they looked down on this area of Galilee. And there were a people, as the Bible tells us, that were walking in darkness. They were walking in darkness with no hope. They had turned away from the Lord. They were, they were uh, living in sin. They were worshiping other gods. They were turning towards magicians and fortune tellers. They were a people of sinfulness. And not only that, as Isaiah tells us, they were also battling with and being decimated by this great Assyrian nation. Right, there was war, there was death. This is a dark world for the people of Galilee. But Isaiah's telling them in verse 2, the light is coming. Right, a Savior is coming to light up this darkness. To destroy the sin and death within the people of Galilee and within us today. The sin in us and the sin around us. The light is coming to light up that darkness. Church, Jesus is that light. All right, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus will bring light to the darkness. He makes a bold statement there in John. I am the light. Do you know what what light does to to the darkness? If you go into a a dark room, a, a room that's completely pitch black, and you flip on the light, what happens to the darkness? Disappears. It gets decimated. It gets destroyed. It's gone. The light eats up the darkness. And because of Jesus, because this promise was fulfilled, we no longer have to walk in darkness. But we can now walk in the light through Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you today, what darkness are you walking in? Are you walking in the darkness of loneliness? Are you walking in the darkness of insecurity, of anxiety, of financial burden, of addiction? Whatever it is, Know that Jesus came to light up that darkness. He has come to bring light to the darkness and destroy sin and death. He came to destroy the darkness in and around all of our lives. When you place place your faith in him, the Bible tells us that he destroys darkness and then we begin then to walk in the light. The darkness is dead. All right, John chapter 1, John says this about Jesus. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Jesus has won the battle of darkness with light. All right, the Lord promised to bring this light into our darkness, and that is exactly what Jesus did. He brought light into a dark world. That's not all that the Lord promised us. That's not all he promised us that he would do through Jesus. Let's look at our next uh, promise here in verses three through five. Read with me. Back in the text, it says this. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden In the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. God's second promise is to bring his joy into our heaviness. The Bible says here that God will multiply the nation and increase its joy. All right, the light that we just spoke about, it brings a joyful response to those who are in it, to those it is shining upon. This joy, it comes from being delivered from a bad or heavy situation. Have you ever gotten out of a situation that was like really heavy and you get that, that relief and that joy? That's what, that's what the Bible, what Isaiah is talking about here. The joy comes from being delivered from a heavy situation, the breaking of the yoke of burden, the breaking of a yoke of an oppressor. In fact, he compares this joy that will be felt here to the joy felt on the day of Midian. Now, if you're not familiar with this day of Midian, here Isaiah is leading his audience and us today back in history to the book of Judges. 
Judges, the seventh book of the Bible, and he's leading us to the story in Judges of Gideon. Now, Judges chapter 7 discusses Gideon and the day of Midian and what happens on this day. Now, we don't have time to dive all the way into Judges chapter 7. One day we will do that, but, but if you're not familiar with this text and this story of Gideon, um, let me give you just a quick rundown, a quick overview of it. In the time of Gideon, Israel had turned away from God and began to worship false gods. So the Lord gave them over to the then powerful Midianites. Right? He handed his people over to them and they were conquered by the Midianites and Israel was enslaved by them. That sounds familiar, right? That's exactly what we're talking about here in Isaiah 9. This isn't new in history. The Lord has used other nations to judge his people when they turn away from him. And that's exactly what happened in Judges chapter 7. And so they conquered Israel and enslaved them. But then the people repented and they pled for the Lord to deliver them from the hands of the people of Midian. And so the Lord, being faithful to his people, he raises up a courageous warrior named Gideon to lead his people into battle against the Midianites. In fact, the Lord called Gideon to just take 300 men to fight this massive Midianite army. But each man was only armed with three items, a trumpet, an empty vase, and a torch. I had no sword. And the Lord commanded them these mere 300 men, to surround this huge Midianite army. And so these 300 men stood around this massive army in the middle of the night. And all at once, as the Lord commanded, they blew the horn, broke the vase, and held up the lit torches and cried out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And when they did this, the Midianites were so terrified and so confused that they began to turn against one another to kill one another and flee. The Israelites were under the burden of the yoke of slavery. They were under the rod of their oppressor, the Midianites. But when the Lord commanded those men to hold up the torches, light was brought into the darkness, and the darkness scattered and died. And just like in the day of Gideon, this joy that came out of this is the joy that Jesus brings into our heaviness. This is the promise that the Lord has given his people, that I will bring one who brings joy to your heaviness. When the Lord brings his light into our darkness, the rod of the oppressor is broken. Our enemy will be defeated, just like in the days of Gideon with the Midianites. But who's our enemy? Our, our enemy will be defeated. Who's our enemy? Or what's our heaviness? What is our oppressor? We know that Satan is our enemy. Right? He brings sin and death. And this is the, the heaviness of the sin that we're under. Right? Sin is heavy. We talked about this a few weeks ago, being under the heaviness of sin. Right? It's not a fun topic to discuss but it's reality. Like we have a burden, a yoke of slavery upon us, and it is sin and it's death. We're all under sin. Man is sinful. And how heavy the burden of that sin is over us. But the Bible tells us 
that because of this promised savior, because of Jesus, the yoke of sin and death has been broken by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, look, look again at verse five. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Right? He's describing elements that were worn during battle. And the Lord's telling us here that there's no need for those anymore. They will all be burned up in the fire. The battle is won and victory is at hand. There's no more need for this battle attire. Jesus has victory over sin and death. It is finished. That's what he said on the cross. It is finished. Jesus has victory over this sin and death. He has brought joy to our heaviness. No matter what heaviness you're going through right now or months to come or years from now, maybe a, a bad diagnosis or a relapse, a struggling marriage, a death in the family, no matter what it is, the Lord has promised joy in our heaviness. Now, we have victory and eternal life in Jesus Christ through God's promise to send Jesus, the one who will bring light into the darkness and turn hopelessness into joy. No heaviness of the world can overtake that joy. None. Jesus has victory over sin and death. There's nothing in the world greater than that. He has victory over sin and death. It is finished. And let's get our eyes back on the text here and see this final promise in the text this morning that we get through the, from the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Read with me in verses six through seven here. It says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here in our last promise today, God promised to bring his kingdom into our brokenness. Now, all throughout history, as we see this text talk about kingdoms, all throughout history, mankind has tried to build perfect kingdoms, right? In fact, I think we're, we're living in a kingdom right now that was thought to be, for a very long time, a perfect kingdom. But all throughout history, these kingdoms were, were attempted, right? The Persian Empire, the Great Roman Empire, the British Empire, and so on. All these kingdoms have fallen. They've failed because broken men can only build broken kingdoms. We need a perfect and righteous king to bring the perfect kingdom. The Bible tells us that that perfect king is Jesus. Right? The text tells us today, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And upon the shoulders of this child will all governance of all people rest. He will hold up all things. These are all things that Jesus told us in the gospels that he is. Into our broken world, this perfect king will be born. 
And we know now that Jesus is that king. In fact, listen to the way that the Bible describes Jesus here. He is given four titles in this section of text. Now look at, look at these titles one by one. The Bible says that he is the wonderful counselor. All right, in Jesus lies all knowledge and wisdom. All right, a wonderful counselor, right? a miraculous counselor of wisdom. He will and his will and his ways are the best ways. He is wonderful and fully wise. His works are wonderful and his teachings through his word are sound and concrete. He is the wonderful counselor and he is the wonderful counselor because he is mighty God, right? The second title that he's given here is mighty God. Jesus is God. He first came as the lamb who laid down his life for ours and he returns as a mighty roaring lion, all right? It's an incredible story that that the Lord, Jesus, is God, and he came down, who's the, mo- the powerful, the almighty. He came down as a lamb, humbly, to die for our sins. But when he returns, the Bible tells us that he will return as a roaring lion, a mighty lion, the king of kings. Jesus is God in flesh. And the Bible tells us that all things are under his authority, All power is his in heaven and on earth because he is mighty God. Jesus is Lord. And because he is mighty God, he is also the everlasting father. That's the third title that Isaiah gives us here. He is eternally God. Jesus stated in in John 8, 58, before Abraham was I am. I was at the beginning of time, he says. I was at the foundations of the earth. Now, he was there at the beginning, and he is the head from the beginning to end. He is the king for all eternity. He is the everlasting father. And Isaiah also calls him the prince of peace. Jesus, through his death for our sins, he brings peace to us, right? We've talked about this many times as we walk through the verses in Romans the last couple of weeks, that in our sin, we are enemies of God. We are God's enemies because we are sinful. Man is sinful. But through the spilled blood of Jesus, we are reconciled to God, thus bringing us peace through Jesus. He is the prince of peace. You notice here, these four uh, titles that are given are descriptions of a perfect king, the one who is full of all wisdom, who is mighty God, who is and has always been and always will be who brought peace for all eternity to those who belong to him. By definition, this is the perfect king. So we have the perfect king who will now usher in this perfect kingdom. In fact, listen to the description of this, how perfect this kingdom will be that Jesus will usher in. The Bible says that this kingdom will have a peace that will have no end, right? Peace for eternity. That it is upheld with righteousness and justice forever and ever. No kingdom on earth ever has done that because no king ever is perfect. But we have the perfect king and his name is Jesus Christ. Emmanuel has come. The perfect king Jesus will bring the perfect kingdom into our broken world. And that is what the Lord has promised. 
as he, as he gives Isaiah this prophecy to tell the nation of Israel, to tell the region of Judah and Galilee, I will send a savior. And so in that, we've seen three promises from the Lord this morning, that he will bring light into our darkness, that he will bring joy into our heaviness, and that his kingdom will come into our brokenness. And then the last line of verse seven, the Lord gives us his word that these promises will be fulfilled. The Bible says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He is telling the people of Israel, I will send you a savior. If this will happen, he is coming. And if you have any doubt of the validity of the Bible or the faithfulness of God to his word, or if Jesus really truly is this savior being talked about in Isaiah 9. Let me show you what happens when God makes a promise. Remember when we talked about this region of Galilee. In fact, look, look with us here in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Get our eyes back on the text here for just one moment. But there will be no gloom, Isaiah 9, 1 says, for who who was in anguish... In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. All right, we talked about this region of Galilee. Isaiah states that the promised perfect king will, will come and first bring light to Galilee of the nations. Now look with me. We'll have on the screen here behind me. Look with me in Matthew chapter 4, written over 700 years after Isaiah penned this prophecy in Isaiah 9.1. Matthew 4, 13 through 17 says this, And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah may be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He goes first, just as Isaiah had prophesied. It says the kingdom of heaven has come and I am the perfect king. Jesus' mission started in Galilee. Right? This is where he first brought the gospel message that he was ushering in this kingdom. This is where he picked up a few followers like, like Peter and James and John and Andrew, who he called fishers of men. His first miracle was performed in Cana of Galilee at a wedding in, where, in which he made water into wine. The Bible tells us that Jesus healed every affliction and disease to those who came to him while he was there. The light has come to Galilee. God said, my promise is fulfilled. The word of God stands on truth. And we see that fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4. 700 years after Isaiah foretold the coming Savior, the promised Savior has come. And his name is Jesus and he has brought light into the darkness 
the promises of the Lord made in Isaiah chapter nine were fulfilled through the birth, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we must take away from this text today. As we read through the book of Isaiah, and it's particularly in this section of Isaiah chapter nine, what this text teaches us today is this. Christmas time reminds us that what God promises to do, he always does. So stand with me, if you will. Let's pray and continue in worship to a faithful God who keeps his promises to us, who sent Jesus Christ as the savior of the world to bring light into our darkness and to usher in his perfect kingdom. Let us worship the perfect king. Pray with me, church. Father, we love you. Lord, we, we worship you, Jesus, as you have done everything for us. Without you, Jesus, we are nothing. There is no hope. We are darkness, Father. But because of you, because you were born and you lived a perfect life and you died on the cross for our sins, for the propitiation to make us no longer enemies of God, but but seen as righteous through your blood. Jesus, we worship you. We, we praise you for that now. And so as we, as we walk through this holiday season and we get our eyes on your birth in this particular season, we have to see the gospel in it, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that should turn all of our hearts to worship. So Jesus, please stir the spirit in us, get our minds and our hearts right with you today and on the right area should be worshiping you every single day for what you've done for us. We praise you, Lord, that you are faithful to your word, that your promises are upheld, that you are a faithful God who never disappoints, who never lets us down. Father, we worship you and praise you for that and continually will do so throughout our lives. Every day, Lord, get our hearts and our minds set on this and so that we can do with every breath in our lungs, with every action, bring glory to you and worship you in everything we do. We love you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.